Hello, and welcome back to the Court of Power with your host, Timmy. Now, today, we're going to be talking about how all the great franchises are being ruined with wokeness. I just, you have to understand, I just, when I see what they're doing to our beloved franchises these days, I just, I just don't know what to say. For God's sakes, they made the Seahawks twerk. She's twerking. My God. You know, I'm just saying. Where did we become so obsessed with Marvel heroes' asses? You know, we used to have things that were designed around character development and action pieces. And being a proud American, you'd never catch us obsessing over Captain America's buttocks, would you? Would you? Shut up, Chad, I know. And now we got the Ward of the Wings, and the Ward of the Wings has, has black elves and black dwarves. Black people in Middle Earth, what's that about, huh? Why are they trying to rewrite history with black people? Next, they're going to be telling us that black people were in medieval Europe. That's what they're going to be telling us. I mean, I haven't read any history books about medieval Europe, but I have watched a bunch of movies and played a bunch of video games for medieval Europe. So we all know it's a white fest. Okay? And I just, I just, I can't. I don't know if I can sit by and watch one more Marvel superhero be replaced by a woman or a person of color. I just, I just, I just, and why? Why are there so many women in Star Wars? I just... Mom, I need my inhaler! Mom, I need my inhaler! I'm not getting you your inhaler! Mom, I could die! You don't have asthma that bad! But Mom! I'm not coming in there! You've got just dirty... Jerking it socks all over the place, and I'm not coming back in your room. Man, that's not what the socks are for. The socks are just a metaphor for every time Brie Larson says something on the internet. Yeah, we all know what that means. Welcome to the Show. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome back to Ruben Uncut. And uh, today, my guest is uh, Albert Milton. Welcome to the show, Albert. Thanks for having me, Ruben. <laughs> and um, you're a you're a comedian, correct? Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, but I, I was, uh, you know, a, a low-level comic in um, Northeast Ohio for the better part of a decade. I feel um, like I... Did you used to, like, wear a, a coat on stage? Yes. Did you... <laughs> I, I, think I, saw, I think I saw you at an electric pressure cooker once. You know, I don't think I ever performed at those. I it just went. At, it was at um, the flower shop. Yeah, that, that's the last time I, I visited those. Um, that 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 flower shop by the pizza place. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, so you you were not the gentle. So you're. So if you did not perform there, then I would guess that you were not the gentleman who I thought you were, because I thought you were. The memory I had was someone like. There was a stand-up comedian who I apparently mistook for you, who uh, claimed to be rolling on MDMA while he was doing his. <laughs> oh yeah, that was not me. Okay. Uh, but it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, no. I. Did you use an accent in your act? I did, yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's another guy out there who also wore a coat with an accent, but apparently he was high. Yeah, I've, I've never uh, never done MDMA in a flower shop, although that sounds like something to put on the bucket list. It does sound like a, like a good time. It does sound like a good time. Uh... I may have also seen you at Eurogyro. Yeah, I used to go there. Uh, that this is that's ancient history now. But, oh yeah, um, yeah. That used to be that used to be the staple for sure. Sunday nights. Yeah. Um, yeah an interesting stage for sure. So you're uh, are you purely improv now, or do you do? Oh, I've uh, I do stand up, but. I, I do mostly improv. Okay. Uh, I have, okay. I, I regularly do stand up at the electric pressure cooker. I've been trying to get out to some more places uh, recently to do stand up. I've been doing some stuff at uh, the Imposters Theater. That's been fun. Yeah, yeah. How'd your show go? Oh, uh, the improv show went great. Um, it was, we were doing a, uh, oh man, an Armando. Um, which for anyone not familiar with Armando is a um, basically an improv uh, structure that uh, relies on having like storytellers there. And basically one of them will tell a story and then you just do a bunch of scenes inspired by the story. And then uh, they actually had two storytellers there. Uh, they both had some good stories and we uh, got some funny scenes out of them. All right, that sounds cool. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad it went well because you said that this was a group that you don't usually perform with. You were invited this time. I was invited. Uh, yeah, it was um, this improvised life. Okay. And, and um, I know I knew almost everyone in who was there playing uh, from some type of context. Um, I think I, no, there was there was at least a couple of people there who were new to me, but um, I have performed with this improvised life before um but uh i i wouldn't say i've done it enough to consider myself a regular okay so is this is this something that will be a regular thing for you do you who think who knows who knows maybe maybe i'll do more you are you are cutting in and out a little bit okay um are, you on, to... are you on a phone or a computer i'm on a computer Oof, I don't know how to, I don't know. Normally if it's a phone, I'm like, well, that's why. But computer could be any number of issues. Well, uh, you know, if we need to restart, we can. I hope that it doesn't uh, waste your bandwidth or whatever you're using to record. Nah, it should be fine. Uh, but uh, so, okay, it's, it seems to be, We'll play it by ear. We'll play it by okay. ear. No yeah, so this is a this is a this is a newer 
laptop. So this is my first Zoom meeting using it. Ah. Um, so I don't really know what its uh, capabilities are. <clears throat> I understand. Uh, so, so part of the reason I, I wanted to have a conversation with you is that we, um, I've seen a number of your posts uh, sharing your thoughts on various uh, movies and TV shows and things. And so I was just, I was interested in having a conversation with you, uh, like about art, specifically like storytelling media and whatnot. Yeah. And that's, uh, um, it's one of my favorite things to talk about, but before we get into it, I I do want to just say, I'm not a contrarian by nature. Okay. (laughs) Like I don't just dislike things because other people like them. Mm -hmm. I try not to be a snob, but, um, yeah, what's it just to me it's a problem um with comprehension that people have and it's it seems to have gotten worse as time goes on i mean the stuff that we've chatted about on social media to me the the frustrating thing is seeing how many productions are in my opinion well made that people say are bad and vice versa things that are not good (laughs) that people say are good and you know I'm not the kind of person who's going to tell you that what you like is bad but when we compare things I think the I think the catalyst for this podcast conversation was um at the time my opinions on Peacemaker and Free Guy (laughs) okay which were two shows that everybody was were two things that everybody was raving about that I think are not good um and this was around the same time uh i'm trying to think of popular things that were that were coming out uh eternals had just begun streaming at the time i believe which was not a great movie by by any means but it was also not nearly as bad as everybody said it was and to me i was kind of surprised by the hate on that one i thought i i rather enjoyed eternals I mean, it, you know, it was a, what do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a superhero movie that was trying to do something a little different and everybody hated it. But Free Guy, people love that movie. I was actually just talking to a friend of mine um, the other day who said that that movie made him cry. And I, I kind of stared into the middle distance because it was like, what about that movie resonated with you so much <laughs> that you cried, you know, and, and then there are, there are these other uh, shows and films coming out right now that I think are legitimately, you know, there's a message to them. There's it's a cohesion of, of the, you know, the, all the multitudes of people who work to make them happen that people just write off and review bomb and, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot going on in, in our country right now with identity politics and, and that obviously colors everything, but, um, yeah, anyway, just to rein it back in. So when we're talking about art, um, obviously you can take the lead here, but I just wanted to preface the conversation by saying like, I'm not the person who's just playing devil's advocate you know, <laughs> for the sake of doing it. I, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from as someone who has probably been con- accused of being uh contrarian when it comes to this type of stuff. 
Um, real quick though, um, every once in a while it is still cutting out a bit. Okay. Um, let's uh, let me. So let's uh, let's pause here and see if we can fix that for a minute. Okay. <clears throat> All right. We'll just have to see how it goes, folks. But we are we're back here. Uh, so, so I guess I, I guess I'll start with um, just uh, just to say that um, I don't have a strong impulse to defend uh, Free Guy. Um, I, I found Free Guy entertaining. I, I will. That is me making that noise. That's weird. Uh, but uh, Free Guy, I did find Free Guy entertaining. Um, I will say I didn't think it was incredibly uh, deep. It just felt like standard, like vaguely family older kid appropriate comedy uh although there was one joke in it there was one joke in it where i was like that's a bad joke and it doesn't make sense uh the part where they like get on the motorcycle together and she asked him if that's a gun in his pocket or if he's just excited to see her or something or it, it better be a gun in your pocket or something implying that she felt something that she thought was his boner, but like, like it doesn't make logistically. Sense. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's not virtual. Like, if it were virtual reality, maybe I'd buy that joke. But she's just an avatar in a computer game. So, and like, she didn't even know there was a kiss button. So, like, right. how could she possibly have felt anything in his crotch? It doesn't. It doesn't make it's a bad joke that doesn't it's, need to be in the movie it's funny that you bring that up because there was another joke that i had a similar response to from the movie um it was a visual gag and it was when they were showing all the people around the world like watching someone stream grand theft auto 5 basically which is already ridiculous but as they were going from person to person country to country all swept up in this sensation of ryan reynolds's character running around which again no one would care but uh there was a there was a kid in like a shanty town he was like in a hut and like a village that didn't look like it would even have electricity but even the villagers were watching the free guy (laughs) and there was just something so unbelievably stupid about that that left me like completely irreconcilable with the rest of the movie like I just I couldn't even I couldn't take any of it seriously even though it was supposed to be a funny movie Mm. you know it was just stuff like that I mean and then Taika Waititi's character Mm -hmm. it, it was like this antiquated depiction of what gamers are like it was like watching grandma's boy which was funny when it came out you know 300 years ago but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, that's, just, that's fair. His character is kind of like that character. It's just, it's just old humor. It's like technology and humor have moved into this new phase so quickly from the early thousands to now that if you're making a comedy movie, I don't know. I feel like it's almost your job to be somewhat relevant especially because like i couldn't figure out who the movie was for who was it for was it for kids or was it for adults it wasn't for gamers who was the movie for you know what i mean 
I mean, the other thing about the movie is it, it, it reminded me, it felt like the Lego movie in a way. I could see that. that like, except I actually thought the Lego movie was fun. Oh no, the Lego movie's great. <laughs> but like, I mean, like it's kind of a lot of the same stuff going on. And the Lego movie is kind of like the kid's version of The Matrix. Well, I mean, except that The Matrix is actually about being trans. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you believe that? Um, I mean, Not like, to... it makes... I, I mean, it's something that the directors have said. Um, and there's... Uh, so, like... Did you know that in the 90s, estrogen pills were red? I did not know that, but, but I believe it. Yeah, and uh, so like that was that that's supposedly one of the things that are in there, and I think it actually lines up with the overall thing uh, of the themes of the movie because the whole idea is that it starts us off in this movie that has like a binary perspective, mm-hmm. of like good and evil, and then it slowly begin, and then over the sequels, and probably why they're not as popular, it like deconstructs that binary. Right. So that you no longer are thinking of it in terms of like good versus evil by the end, sure. or at least you're not supposed to be. It's also yeah, I, it's also why um, Aunt, uh, Agent Smith constantly, essentially dead names uh, Neo throughout the movie. Yeah, Mr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Right, and I see. I buy it. I totally buy that. I just see um, nowadays, especially after the that newest Matrix movie mm-hmm. came out. Um, people kind of accusing the Wachowskis of being sort of J.K. Rowling about it, where they're retroactively applying a theme to the movie. I don't know. I, I buy well, it. I mean, well, it, I, it makes sense to me. <clears throat> well, part of it is that they have confirmed that, like, Warner Brothers actively made them, forced them to make the movies, like, less gay. Um, that also so, sounds that sounds on brand. <laughs> so like an in well actually like less LGBTQ in general because like the character switch um was supposed to be a male actor in one universe in in one side of the like in the real world I forget which way it was, real world or, or the matrix, but basically their gender was supposed to be different inside and outside the matrix, uh which is why their name was Switch. But um the studio was like, no. That's just one of the examples I know there, which I think is, for, I think like it makes sense to me when I think about how the Matrix like unfolds, mm-hmm. and like to me the fourth movie, which is it's admittedly not as good as the other movies, but I still enjoyed it. Um. Like, to me, that movie was kind of like a lot of, as if someone had been like, okay, I guess I'll just, like, spell it out. Yeah. A lot of people didn't get what the movies were about before, so now I'm just going to say it as loud as possible. It did feel, ah, man, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. I don't think I hated it as much as everybody else did, but there was something off about it. Well, part, you know, of, part of it is it took to itself a lot less seriously, which I thought was interesting. 
like I don't know, like may I forget which I forget which sister didn't wasn't on the movie, but but like I can't help but feel like maybe that was the really serious sister. <laughs> yeah, I mean it could that could be a thing. Um we see that a lot with collaborators, whether they're related or not. Because like this um, one just you know, split up. The fourth one just felt like it had a lot more humor to it, and it like there was a lot of meta commentary on like the making it, of the movie itself. Yeah, it was which, very meta, which admittedly I enjoyed. Uh, although it is weird, like the thing that makes it weird, kind of though, is that you're watching it, and if you pick up on the meta um, story that it's telling, it's basically telling the story of they made me make this movie. Yeah, this was not my choice. And so now I'm just going to deconstruct the idea of forcing me to make this movie. See, and that's, yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that. That I actually enjoyed that element. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like they, they've said for years the story was over. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of dig it. It's like, okay, well, if we have to do this, we might as well have fun with it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't hate it as much as everybody else. That's that's one of those. It's the 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 new Matrix movie is a good example of why sometimes I feel like a contrarian, even though I I'm trying not to be one. It's just like everyone hated it, and I was like, it was okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or uh, the Last Jedi. I didn't hate that movie. I did not hate the Last Jedi either. Okay. All right, so I I feel like we're maybe on the same. Maybe like uh, so. Like the thing about the Last Jedi is that like I think like what I remember about that movie when it came out is that everyone everyone I knew was talking about it had, had like all these wild predictions about what the movie would be and like what it would reveal, and then the movie came out and they were all wrong. Like I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anyone's theories who were were right about that movie. Um, so yeah. it, it, I kind of thought afterwards, like maybe that people hate that movie because it wasn't the movie they wrote in their heads. Well, I think we see that a lot with the superhero movies. This I think true. that's exactly what happens. Um, I was not a big fan of the new Doctor Strange, but to me, that was just because it was kind of a sloppy movie. It, it is the other people i know you know and i and i like sam raimi but it was kind of all over the place and not in a good way in my opinion but a lot of other people who didn't like the movie didn't like it because you know there weren't enough of the cameos they wanted there wasn't uh you know a whole character arc for the illuminati who were only supposed to be in the movie for a few minutes but in everyone's head you know they were expecting to see this full-on thing and it didn't happen so people didn't like the movie so I, I think you're absolutely right people do especially in fandoms they kind of project their own vision of the property um i don't know what you think about uh the star wars shows um, um I have the ones on disney them. i have too uh but you've seen the just endless hatred for the yeah. Boba Fett show. Yeah, which I thought was I, I didn't liked think it was Boba that bad. <laughs> like I, I right. mean, it was it was a slower, more deliberate show, which I guess would throw some people off. Um, 
But like I thought his arc was cool. Yeah. Like he gets rescued but he well, he gets kidnapped slash rescued by the sand people. And then they lit they teach him basically how to live honorably in their tribe. Yeah. And and then and then he like has this whole like journey where now he like wants to be this more honorable person. I think that's I think that's really cool. I don't and but people were disappointed yeah. by that. I know. And 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 when I ask people about about it, you know, there are some valid lore complaints like his helmet and I don't know, I guess the way that he'd been depicted and and the books and stuff over the years but Mm -hmm. i mean it's established that none of that stuff is canon anymore so you have to let it go true um but yeah it's like people just expected him to kill everybody they just wanted him to like massacre everybody and it's like that's kind of a fun idea but it's not real interesting and this is this is kind of what i meant at the beginning when we when we started this where i think it's a comprehension issue it's like people i don't know if it's a byproduct of a very poor public education system or um just a lack of emphasis on the arts in general but it's like anymore if people don't have almost the entire storyline spelled out for them regardless of if it's a show or a film within the first 20 minutes they don't like it. They call it slow. They say it's boring. They say it's stupid. And any like emoting on a character's part is classified as bad for some reason. Mm. You know, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, Like, okay. Did you see the Batman? I have seen the Batman. And what did you think of the Batman? Uh, I I thought the Batman was awesome. So did I like so did i and i'm a lifelong comic fan you know from, and yeah from the performances we've with people. from the performances to like the over to like the things it does with like how it conceptualizes and translates the batman mythos to the modern like to our contemporary world i thought it was like, yeah. brilliant and like it, it like answered the questions that like the annoying questions i always see online about like about batman's like privilege and whatnot yeah and like it it, like addressed those things in a way that made sense and i was like this is great uh side note no one ever complains about iron man's privilege except for me all the time yeah i do too (laughs) it's like he was a fucking asshole (laughs) yeah it's it's funny i I mean the, the just not to get too carried away but um it's funny the difference between the movie Iron Man mm-hmm. and the comic book Iron Man, because comic book Iron Man is not a good person mm-hmm. at all, and different writers have played with that to different extents. But like a fairly recent story arc, I think this was four years ago now. Um, it was an event in Marvel called Axis, and basically the premise okay, of the I event was all the good. Did you? Okay. Yeah, like so. You know, all the alignments get a bunch of people's alignments get flipped, and exactly there's like, isn't it like like um, I want to say like semi Norse evil deities or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that was um, around the fear itself story. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no. Um, 
I actually enjoyed Deadpool's <laughs> person. I, I did too, and I'm not even a big Deadpool fan, but I got a kick out. Um, well, the the Iron Man flip, the the evil Iron Man, the superior Iron Man, was not much different than normal Iron Man. You know what I mean? And I thought that was pretty telling. Like, this is just an Iron Man that stopped pretending, which I think he even says in the comic. But in the movies, you know, he's a pretty likable, uh, in spite of being a capitalist pig, <laughs> he's, he's a likable guy. <clears throat> also, despite being the fact that throughout the movies, he's kind of misogynistic and he doesn't seem to care about anything that doesn't affect his life directly. Yeah. And he just like emotionally reacts to things without thinking them through all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what are we talking about? He's a, fun, he's a fun, rich white guy. Why you gotta be yeah, hating? Yeah. If, yeah, Batman not was, if, if Batman was a fun person, people wouldn't complain. <laughs> oh, I think, well, you, that's one of the things people complained about with the movie is that Bruce Wayne was too serious. And again, as a lifelong comic book fan, to me, that's pretty true to the to the period of time that they're depicting that was oh, yeah. early in his Batman days and young Bruce Wayne was pretty messed up. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, after the the Frank Miller year one, they established that young Bruce Wayne was a messed up guy and he had to learn to be the playboy, you know, to kind of fool everyone. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, the amount of hatred the Batman got was another like eye opening thing for me where I'm like, people just don't, appreciate anything (laughs) yeah i mean i felt i felt like like some of the hate for that movie was because every reboot is going to have some hate like that's just that's just a problem i mean that's just a thing like that's also a thing that i don't think warner brothers factored in when they imagined batman versus superman being a billion dollar movie was the fact that obvious like every reboot every reboot has some people who reject it you can't expect to come out of the door swinging with a reboot on certain levels yeah and uh so the so the batman some of that was people being like no not a reboot i'm already emotionally invested in this batman and then another part of that what the what another part of that was like all the memes about serious batman yeah it's Oh, and then and like, uh, oh, and the anti-woke people. Yeah, so I was actually trying, I, I knew that this was going to come up today <laughs> at some point. There's no getting around it. I was trying to kind of talk adjacent to that because that's something we can't rationalize and we can't even really debate that that's an extremely recursive and toxic worldview and it affects everything for those people you know it's not just <laughs> movies it's everything yeah. is woke and it's trash and they hate it um and in the it? batman it was one it was one line from catwoman and that that made the whole movie woke trash apparently <laughs> that, well that and you know like then you know like uh the lack of good guys that were white people was another complaint so yeah uh it's it's always funny when fiction 
reflects reality and people just can't handle it at all. Probably too many people like relating to the Riddler during this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that whole, that whole vibe, which by the way, was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie was like at the end, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but that the climax, mm-hmm. which was way, way darker than I thought they were going to go. I really liked that because it tapped into a very real thing mm-hmm. that we deal with today. Absolutely. Um, but I did think while I was watching the film, like, oh, there are going to be some some edgelords that, that would love this in real life. You know, they would be all about this part. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is disturbing. But... Yeah. But I, one of the things about the movie is that the, the acting is just so good. Agreed. Like, like, specifically the scene between, like, Bruce Wayne and, and Falcone is just like, or Falcone, however you want to say it. Um, that scene between them, like, is some of the most incredible acting I've seen in a Batman movie ever. Like, I was absolutely riveted by Robert Pattinson and uh, John Turturro. Does that say his name? Uh, I think so. I'm not great with actors. Yeah, I know. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Um, but uh, their whole thing, that whole scene just, like, floored me. Like, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and just on a, on a more um, lowbrow <laughs> assessment, uh, best Batmobile. It was a pretty badass Batmobile. That was cool, man. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, like, I like, I love Gary Oldman's Commissioner Gordon, but there's something just oh so Jeffrey good. Wright or uh, so good about Jeffrey Wright's Commissioner he's, Gordon. He's one of my favorite. I mean, I like I love him in Westworld. Um, oh yeah, I saw him in a movie. I think it was called Hold Back the Dark, where he plays a uh, like a wolf expert, and he goes to Alaska to investigate reports of a woman's husband being attacked by wolves because that was like really out of character for them and he becomes embroiled in this insane uh plot of these like there was like kind of an occult element to the story it was it's a pretty interesting movie but he was amazing in that and he you know he was the main character so he really got to we got a lot of time with him just acting. The dude is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. He he is he is a remarkable talent. Um, also love Westworld. Great show. Yeah, it's good. It's it's definitely and that's another one that people kind of hate on a lot. And I think that's just a shame because everything about that show is so well done. I mean, in the character, the character writing the cinematography, the music, everything in that show is nicely put together, you know? I mean, not everything's going to be Better Call Saul writing-wise, you know? That's just not a standard that other people can can reach easily. That's true. Um, so I think for a science fiction show, it's very good. <clears throat> That's true. Okay, now, so I will say, it does seem like we're on the same page in a lot of this stuff so far. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I... I relatively really enjoyed Peacemaker. So okay. Curious, what would you like about Peacemaker? 
Well, what I didn't like about Peacemaker uh, is James Gunn. So I'll just start there. Okay. I am not, and this is a personal thing, I will admit, to an extent, but there are other elements that I'll get to. James Gunn basically makes music videos. That's every movie he makes, and every episode of Peacemaker featured at least one slow-motion scene where he played the entirety of a song, and some episodes had more than one. And he does this in everything, and to me, it's kind of hacky. Um, I feel like it's one it's of his signature moves at this point, though. Yeah, but it's like, there are ways to do it, I guess. Like, Tarantino is kind of the expert of, of merging the music with the scene. James Gunn, like, oh man, the scene with um, Vigilani in jail. Okay. First of all, I've been to jail. <clears throat> Nobody lines up against the walls and screams at you. Um, that is just as dated and inaccurate as what I was complaining about with free guys depiction of gamer culture it's just like that there's no basis for this in reality okay i'll let go of it this is a universe where superheroes are real maybe things are different but did the slow motion vigilante walking into the jail with the music playing add anything beyond filling time for the episode no it didn't i i that was actually the sequence that made me love his character. <laughs> I liked when he beat up the skinheads. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that or the the white supremacists. Yeah, that was fun. But the 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 slow mo, and it was every episode, <clears throat> every single episode we had that moment. And the other thing that bothers me about James Gunn, and again, I know this is a personal thing. This is just me being. I don't like James Gunn very much. That he's um, kind of just is all the Lord. all the credit. What'd you say? That he's kind of an edgelord? He is kind of an edgelord, which I could forgive. But what I, I cannot forgive is how all these people since Guardians of the Galaxy give him credit for his incredible soundtracks when literally all the guy seems to do is Google a decade or a genre and pick the top 10 songs and then that's the soundtrack of the movie and people act like he's some visionary musical encyclopedia. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, Peacemaker's a great example of that. It was like, okay, so let's look up metal ballads. Let's just Google it. You know what I mean? And half the songs on the show are among the first results. And like, that's fine. There's, these are fun songs. These are good songs. But one of the things people kept raving about with Peacemaker was its incredible soundtrack and like all these deep cuts that James Gunn used showing off his, his musical um, knowledge. And it's just like, what are you talking about? And then the jokes and Peacemaker just did not work for me. I mean, everything with his dad, the punchline was him saying something racist, something stupid racist. And I get it, his character is a racist, but like his interactions with the Asian detective, it didn't add any character to either either one of them. It seemed like an excuse to just write a stupid racist joke and have it in the show. 
which again, you you already mentioned, that's a very edgelord way of trying to get laughs, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. I don't know. Uh, What I will say about Peacemaker is I thought most of the performances were good. I mean, I think, I thought the cast was good. I thought everybody did a pretty good job. Costume design was on point. Um, But I, you know, I just, I didn't like the writing and I don't like James Gunn's directing style. Um, And the other thing about Peacemaker that, that was kind of upsetting for me, upsetting, upsetting for me was how on one hand you had people calling it woke. And on the other hand, you had liberals on Twitter that were upset about Peacemaker. And to me, that's indicative of a show that doesn't actually have a message. So people are just projecting their own shit onto it. Could it be also that people are projecting their like views of like James Gunn in that way also? I mean, if they are, I don't see very many people talking about it. It seems like both sides of the aisle think James Gunn is great. That's that's another case where I feel like a contrarian because I just don't like him. But, you know, that's, that's again, that's a taste thing. I'm not saying that, you know, I, his stuff is bad, mm-hmm. um, I, except for Peacemaker. <laughs> so, so I would say that um, I'm a little on the middle with James Gunn. Um, like, like, I do think he's an edgelord. Um, his deleted tweets, I mean, his, the tweets they dug up on him kind of proved that he's a, a pretty big edgelord. Um, but the thing, um, but I feel like something he's better at than specifically a lot of Marvel directors is sort of being able to marry, like, characters having, like, very grounded emotions with the stupid shit he puts in his movies. And, like, that's not something that other Marvel directors can balance as well as him. Like, does that make, does that make sense? I, it, it does, I guess. Like, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I guess you're right. Because in the rest of the Marvel catalog, when there's funny stuff, that tends to be the focus. And you don't get very realistic character profiles. I mean, because yeah. Ragnarok was great, but it was goofy as hell. I yeah. haven't seen the new Thor yet. I unfortunately, but I never. And I hate, I hate to be contrarian, uh, but I liked. I actually, it was easier for me to accept uh, Thor: Love and Thunder for some reason than Ragnarok. Really? Well, yeah. that's a good. That's a good thing, in my opinion. I. I uh, I'm a little bit more excited about watching it now. So like my major, so like Ragnar, so like I actually really dug the very first Thor movie. Like I, yeah, I liked it too. It was um, actually like, it's actually probably one of my favorite movies from phase one. Definitely. And, I I'm with you. And everyone hates it. And like everyone hated it so hard that like, they were like, well, let's try something completely different. And then like, yeah. Then that just left me as someone who loved the first movie being like sitting here going, what the fuck is this? (laughs) It just, it felt... It's funny to see... Oh, go on, go on. It just felt like, it felt like they had taken it and made it just like very like juvenile. And like, 
that's that can be funny like i will admit that ragnarok is a very funny movie but like on a certain standpoint i was just kind of like it, it just wasn't i would even say that ragnarok is good at everything that it does well almost it's good at almost everything that it does it's just not doing anything that like really endeared me to it personally like it, it, to me it was just like oh there's more shtick We're going through a lot of shtick here yeah it was a shticky movie um I think I liked it because I knew what was going to happen in Marvel at that point. Like, I'm not trying to brag, but I pretty much predicted the plot of Infinity War. I I kind of had this pretty clear idea of what was going to happen. And when I saw the movie, things didn't quite happen in the order that I predicted. And certain people that died, I didn't think were going to die, you know, um, but I knew that they were going in that direction. I knew they had to because it was Thanos, you know, and Thanos is when they first fought him in the comics, he pretty much killed everybody. Uh, so that's why Ragnarok to me was kind of awesome because it was like, okay, we know this is going to get dark, but here's this Taika Waititi movie, <laughs> you know, which comes before the dark movie. And that's why I thought it was cool because usually you want to do something like that to kind of lighten the tone, but they did the opposite. They threw the fun movie at you first. And then infinity war picks up right when Ragnarok ends. And it's like, everybody's dead. Loki's getting choked out. The Hulk gets the shit kicked out of him. You know, and it was like, I kind of enjoyed Ragnarok for being almost defiantly positive, even though, you know, everybody who works on these things, they know what Feige was planning. And, you know, so the directors knew what was, what they had to set up in their own movies. And Taika Waititi still decided to make this colorful, goofy comedy with Jeff Goldblum. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just get a kick out of that mentality. I can dig that. I can do it. I don't, I don't have anything against Taika Waititi. I thought uh, our flag means death was pretty great. Yeah, uh, I, I like almost everything he does. I like Reservation Dogs. Um, what We Do in the Shadows is probably my favorite show right now. Um, oh, it's now true, that yeah. Better Call Saul is over. But. <clears throat> but the thing, so like, there's the key things that I that drew me into Love and Thunder, and I, I won't give any spoilers. Okay. First is Ragnarok. First of all, love Kate Blanchett, but like, they didn't even try to make hella interesting like she's just there yeah i mean there i think hell is hella was the weak part of the movie which is a drag because i love Kate blanchett as well and she looked smoking as hella you know i i could have just had her on the screen the whole movie but and like uh carl urban's character scourge is basically just there to like uh, so she has someone to talk to pretty much yeah you know and that was a weird creative choice i i don't know why they use scourge he has no connection to hella in the comics really i you know he's usually paired with the enchantress another thor villain mm-hmm. i still don't know why they used scourge but whatever apparently taika <laughs> was not super apparently taika is not super into the thor comics that doesn't surprise me at all to be honest so the thing about so like the thing is christian bale's gore the god butcher Mm -hmm. is a lot better than hella um 
I've heard a lot of people say that there's some stuff that they feel like should have been in the movie with him. And I'll say that that stuff is fair, but it was stuff that didn't occur to me in the moment when I was watching the movie. It was only something I thought of afterwards. Okay. Um, but so I thought, I thought Gore the God Butcher is actually one of the better Marvel villains. Um, and then it was easier for me to accept how stupid it was uh, <laughs> because early on I realized that the story was being told by Korg. And I was like, well, if it's Korg's uh, version of the story, of course it's stupid. Um, oh, and, and, uh, and, and um, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster. Um, they do some they do some kind of dumb shtick with her, but honestly, I I liked her a lot in the movie. Well, I mean, I I I actually really loved that story arc in the comics. I, this is you know what, and I was I'm actually glad this is coming up now um, for being a completely unstructured thing that we're doing. Uh, you have a good way of keeping things flowing. Um, Thank you. One of the uh things that started to create this burning like aggravating dissonance in my mind was during i think it was marvel now i can't remember what the big header was for the changes you know how comics go through yeah, phases yeah, and they all yeah. have you know, there's some they try to make um, themselves more accessible but frequently do the opposite yes exactly no all that was good but a lot of it was pretty good and the mighty thor which was jane foster taking over the thor title while thor the regular thor was kind of off on his own adventures in space so they never even got rid of the character by the way he was still active and he was still in a book so i really don't understand why people were so upset i mean i do understand but it's stupid um I thought it was a great comic and I, I could have, I would have been happy with a lot more of that comic. Um, she was a great protagonist. I don't know how they balanced her cancer in the movie or if that's even a thing, but I don't want to get really, but it is a thing. Okay. That really endeared me to her from, from the get go in the comic. I mean, because she had to sacrifice her own life force to become Thor, you know, when trouble would happen. And she was always going off and saving people who did not respect her at all. I don't, there was just like a tragedy to her that made her a lot more heroic than what we would gotten from regular Thor stories up until that point. Some of which were very good. Don't get me wrong. I, I have liked quite a bit of Thor comics the last 15 years. He's been blessed with good writers, but uh, not recently this whole thing where the Phoenix is his mom, not good, but um, I really yeah, liked I her comic. So I was extremely, Oh yeah. Don't worry. You want to skip this stuff. Okay. But um, I was, uh, I was really excited to see them bringing that into the movie because it was a great comic. And I knew that people would, would lash out just like they did about the comics and I just don't understand. It's like, what's not to like, we get to see Natalie Portman in a Thor movie again and actually acting. Why are you upset about this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless you just don't like Natalie Portman, but that's a, that sounds like a you problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it really does feel like there's, 
sometimes and, and i don't want to i don't want to like separate any particular group but sometimes it feels especially like with men there's like a weird like empathetic disconnect like i've literally like i literally had a conversation with this gentleman i used to work with and he was an all right dude um conservative but uh so we're talking and like in, like we always talk about comic book movies mm-hmm. and one of the things he brought up is that like it's it's hard he, he says he 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 doesn't feel like there's characters in a movie for him that star women. Like he doesn't like, he just doesn't relate to women characters. And that like kind of blew my mind. I was like, I don't, I, cause I just, I like, I don't like, I don't like, maybe it's cause I grew up a weird kid who rarely like felt like, or looked like anyone he saw in the media. But like, like I just would never like, I, so used to stories where they're about people who I don't relate to at all and like I I don't understand like that's like some type of barrier for some people's enjoyment of things yeah uh I I mean you you nailed it. it it is an empathy issue I think um and I don't know what that stems from I mean that's been kind of the ongoing you know since since I mean, obviously, this has been a problem for a long time, but since Trump and since certain major influencers who are, you know, espousing alt-right theory have been kind of reaching teenagers and stuff. I mean, it it is a weird phenomenon. I mean, it really comes down to people not being able to imagine anyone else's point of view. And it, I don't understand how, yeah, I mean, I was a weird kid too. I mean, I spent more time with books than people, you know, and I'm, I'm with you, you know, to be, to, to attach yourself to a novel, especially if you're reading novels from different time periods. I mean, these are very different perspectives, but I was invested in the stories and I, I, you know, it is, it's as alien to me as it is to you to imagine not being able to relate to a character because they're a little bit different you know it's it's pretty wacky stuff yeah yeah no it's very weird and like the, the rhetoric that goes along with it like the anti-woke rhetoric is just like it's so it's like it's like kind of exhausting it is exhausting like like every time like i'm not like i don't necessarily think that race bending is necessarily the best solution to like the issue but at the sure. same time, I don't have like this knee jerk like rejection to it either. Like people are like, oh, they changed the character. And it's like, hold on. You do realize that at one point they rebooted both Green Lantern and The Flash in a way where literally the only things they had in common with their previous characters was their powers, their name, and apparently that they were white. Yep. Yeah, uh, don't even get me started. I mean, I, you know, well, I, 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 I was about to say, don't get me started. And it's like, where do you even start to unpack this? Because, yeah, this has been happening forever mm-hmm. in so many different kinds of media where different writers take over a book or a show and characters go through pretty stark changes especially in a long-running series i mean doctor who is a great example i mean and they just they worked that into the the plot but still you know wildly different tones just huge shifts Mm -hmm. and 
like in 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 this uh, in the Sandman on Netflix. Oh yeah. Obviously, they they did make some changes, but take Constantine for example, and I was so relieved to finally see a show that pronounced their name right. <laughs> finally, um, I thought Jenna Coleman did an excellent job. Uh, she definitely captured that early Hellblazer Swamp Thing era of Constantine who was the character that showed up in Sandman mm-hmm. um to, in in that comic issue uh Dream a Little Dream of Me and um people are freaking out because the gender is wrong but it's like that's one of the best adaptations of the character I've ever seen the only thing she was missing was a cigarette and then she would have been perfect you know did you and yeah to me it's like if you stay true to the essence of a character None of the surface to shit, whether it's gender or or race, matters. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And another thing is that a lot of times people read too much into these changes too. Like, um, like a thing that came out after the Warner Brothers Discovery merger was mm. that um, that essentially DC had really like Warner Brothers really because they don't have a technically a centralized DC films yet. Warner Brothers had really sort of like fucked themselves over in their pursuit of trying to find someone to lead their dc universe yeah um specifically they brought jj abrams on and essentially one of the things that came out after the merger is that they had given this guy half a billion dollars um and all he had done was tie up the rights to certain characters and produce a couple drafts of of like for for hbo max and one of those characters he was tying up the rights to were people like Constantine. I mean, Constantine, uh, who, who, who he had claimed to try and make his Justice League dark show. Yeah. And so, like, suddenly they had they pulled the character off of um, Legends of Tomorrow, and and I assume it probably affected the Sandman shooting also. It did. It did. It did. I mean, it was it was a rights issue, and also just for the sake of. I mean, as we have already established, people are easily bored and confused these days. I mean, I can't even count the amount of people who said the Sandman didn't make sense, which, whatever. But um, there are two Constantines in that story. There's John, and then there's his ancestor, Johanna, who plays a bigger role later on. Mm -hmm. So to me, it just makes sense for the viewer who maybe isn't familiar with the source material, it's like, oh, okay, this is the descendant of that character. So when we have the flashbacks of the past with the same actress, it's just an easy connection to make, you know? I mean, that just makes sense from like a a filming standpoint and paying one actor is obviously cheaper than paying two. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, it was a rights issue. And there were other issues like that too, that came up. Uh, I think with the casting of Lucifer, uh, who looks you know, some actually, people wanted. Who looks a lot more like the character in the comic book than that yes. on the, yeah. the one show. Um, the looks, the acting, I mean, and that, and that's the other thing too. I mean, in the books, Lucifer and all angels, they like specify um, that they were not like humans. They weren't made to multiply. So they don't have genitals. So yeah. by by default, they're all androgynous. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I get that 
in the original artwork, Lucifer was supposed to look like David Bowie, but David Bowie no, that was, is a that was famous. Supposed to look like David Bowie. He was supposed to look like Sting. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> no, mix, it's okay. Mixing up the '80s guys. Yeah, uh, well, that, it's they were both they both had a similar vibe. <laughs> I mean, you know, early yeah. on anyway. Um, appearance-wise, not personality yeah. or music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I and I, I get that, but David Bowie was also famously androgynous. You know, so yeah. people being upset with that is a gross misunderstanding of of what the character is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't they don't even have a gender. So why are you upset? <laughs> like anyone who can you know play. What I mean? Anyone who complains about these types of things needs to go home and just throw all their Prince albums in the trash. Agreed. And, yeah. Like it's it's a it's a weird double standard for sure. Prince literally um, literally had a female identity that he would sing about. Yeah. So it's ridiculous. But um so I, so here's a show I haven't talked a lot about yet. But okay. I'm curious. Have you seen any of She-Hulk? I have. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm all caught up. When do those episodes come out? I'm not sure if I'm caught up. I think Thursday. I don't remember. I may have watched it. Um, oh no, I think I did. I think I did because that's the that was the Megan the Stallion one, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. I will say I was not bothered by the fact that she was twerking in the show but i did feel like there was a lot of like celebrity ho-hummery that i don't typically care for yeah i i did think that was pretty cringe uh, um overall i've enjoyed it uh yeah. again as a as a comic book fan i think it's pretty close to the she-hulk run that defined the character mm-hmm as oh, well yeah. as her time with the Fantastic Four, you know, it's she's she's a goofy character. There's some, you know, it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, that, so that I like I like all character. that, and I like Tatiana in the role. I think yeah, she's, she's just she's, a, good. she's just fun. Um, yeah, the the Megan Beast stallion stuff was yeah, it was just I don't know. I I hate when movies or shows do things like that because it's what's the word that i'm looking for it's is it cheap is that the word i'm looking for it's like banking on the celebrities appeal to carry the whole episode you know um which was kind of a drag but Mm -hmm. i think that was a one-off at least i hope it was (laughs) i i mean i assume like my my i mean i get it people like celebrity cameos but like there was a there was a point just where i was like I feel like you've cameoed enough in this episode. <laughs> yes, okay. I agree. You're very, um, you're in it a lot. Let's calm down. And and then the twerking scene, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't, it didn't make me like, I didn't have, have an existential crisis about it. I just kind of rolled my eyes. And, yeah. Cause that's like, know, that's the, okay. like, that's the thing is that like, at worst, it's a little cringy. Like, it's not yeah. really anything to blow up about. Like, I don't see people here out here talking about how, what a cringy disaster Ant-Man and the Wasp is. Which it was. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> that, was, that was a very bad 
Like it may be the worst of the MCU movies. Like when I watch it, I'm like, man, I can, it's just, it, it feels like a straight to video film. It, it has that vibe. Yeah. It, uh, um, it reminded me of, it reminded me a lot of, again, not to keep referencing the early thousands and, and just dating ourselves and, making us seem more ancient than we are but um back in my day evanescence was on all the good soundtracks yeah well (laughs) that's what i mean it felt like one of those movies like it felt like like ben affleck daredevil or um i don't know x-men 3 you know back in that 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 dark period where they didn't really know how to make comic book movies but they kept making them (laughs) Well, it, it was a period where they were doing better than making them kind of in the 90s. And <clears throat> they were slowly starting to get there. They were slowly starting to get there. That was also a period where we had a lot of comic book movies that were not necessarily DC or Marvel, which was... True. true. That's true. I yeah, guess- I, hope we see, I hope we see more of that. I mean... Uh, especially now, because I think so many of us are pretty tired of Marvel. At least I am. And I mean, I'm a fan. So if I'm saying it, it, trust me, it's coming from a place of love. I think they need to take a break and spend time on on their next installment because they're just cranking stuff out right now and not all of it's great. So, you know, but I think it would be it would be nice to have heroes we don't typically see. You know, mm-hmm. You know maybe not heroes but characters i mean because the boys has been great the boys oh, yeah. has been a breath of fresh air that's a great show you know that's a that's a really good show uh yes, it's one of the I rare agree. thing it's one of the rare shows where it's like a lot better than the source material yeah it is it i mean there's i don't think there's any question there i would i would even go so far as to say I, i'm sure garth ennis uh would agree um, it'd I mean, probably be like, yeah, it probably helps to show that you guys don't hate superheroes as much as me. Yeah, he's funny. He's one of my favorite comic writers, but he like his some of his opinions are so extreme when it comes to the medium. He hates superheroes. He doesn't really like um, telling stories that feature conventional elements like. Um, Mm-hmm. the good guy's winning in the end you know I, I just read a graphic novel he released uh i think in 2019 um it was excellent the art was very good i wish i could remember um the the artist's name uh, it was called sarah and it was about a russian sniper in world war ii and it was just like such a bleak and harrowing story that does not end on a happy note and I mean, I, I, I was, I felt like hollow after reading it because it was so sad. And I mean, that's just Garth Ennis. That's, that's yeah. how he rolls. He's either I, balls to the walls, gory humor, or he breaks your fucking heart and he yeah, doesn't apologize like, for it. <laughs> and he came out of that, he came out of that, like, sort of like, like there was almost like a weird, like, um, like part of, the, part of like the, the British comic book writer like invasion of America was like that there was like a lot of like he was one of like the edge lords of that definitely yeah and then um 
And then you had Mark Millar and uh, what's his face? Uh, the guy. Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Not. He created Trans Metropolitan. Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis, yes, who turned out to be a groomer. Uh, Is that what happened to him? I knew there yeah. was some controversy, but I honestly, I haven't, I haven't. Warren Ellis Basically, for years. he would he would latch on to young female artists and like and like try and get them to be into him as he like sort of like brought them up in the like comic book world oh that's disappointing to hear it is although it it makes me feel better about how much i hated um astonishing x-men ghost box which i actually i'm with you man there's a lot of warren else's work i do i do not like i really liked planetary um I obviously Transmetropolitan. I liked the first two volumes of The Authority, uh, um, but I didn't like his. I, I really haven't liked anything he's done for Marvel. Um, and yeah, some, I, of his, some of his Marvel books are just terrible. Just bad, very bad. Um, and sometimes his uh, his humor really doesn't work for me. Like it's just. It's kind of James Gunn esque, if you will. You know, like I mean, oh, here's another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess it. I guess they just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. Have you ever heard of uh, his? He created a book called Gravel that I think was published by Avatar. I did, yeah, and I and I read some of Gravel, which was basic. It felt to me like he was trying to do a Hellblazer story without using John Constantine. Uh, which is funny because his Hellblazer stories are bad, <laughs> very bad. He did one about a school shooting that was like oh, it I've didn't read even that get one. published. Yeah, you could read it. It's so it's not good. And then he did another one where John was put up against a demon trapped in a little boy's body, but not just any demon, a rape demon, and you get a lot of really gross try hard scenes where basically a child is raping people and it just I, I almost couldn't finish it because it was like what is this you know what I mean Jesus Christ <laughs> Warren Ellis <laughs> I know <laughs> like honestly my thoughts when I read Gravel was that it felt like a dumber edgier version of John Constantine definitely I agree like like everything about it like calling him a combat magician as opposed to yeah. like a street warlock or whatever you want to call John yeah. Constantine and like like I did think that the plants that grew bullets were kind of cool but like <laughs> but like so much of what was going on in it like he doesn't he does not care about he doesn't really make good villains which is ironic um it is ironic how, well, it's because it's because his heroes are the villains. His main character is so shitty. <laughs> like, how do you, uh, you know? I mean, even Spider Jerusalem was a complete asshole. You know what I mean? Like, that's true. Yeah. Like, but his villains are just like they're just body bags waiting to happen most of the time. Yeah, pretty much. And like, oh man, gravel. What? What a bad boy. <laughs> 
I did play, I did enjoy it more than Ghost Box though. Astonishing. Ghost Box was bad. Oh my god, it's so bad. It, it was and I I know a lot of people really liked when um Warren Ellis's run on Moon Knight was going on and I did not like it. I did I not even, like it at all. Um I can't even imagine what that would be like. It, it basically was like a a monster of the week kind of structure. And the cool that thing about like it was fun. where that it, it is where we kind of got this the Mr. Knight persona, which is where he's in like the suit, like the three-piece kind of fancy suit, uh, which we saw an adaptation of in the show. Um, that's the only good thing. <laughs> there was no depth to, to his character. He was just a maniac who goes around and kicks the shit out of people. And that was that was it. Whereas there's so much more to Moon Knight now because Jeff Lemire took over the book and actually explored mental illness and now, themes of writer. identity and loneliness. Yeah, he's amazing. He is top tier. I think I think Lemire and Jonathan Hickman are Marvel's two best writers in the past twenty years. I know there's two guys named Hickman and I always mix them up sometimes. Jonathan Hickman did a pretty amazing run on the Fantastic Four, which was followed by a run on Avengers, New Avengers, and that led into Secret Wars, which was supposed, not the one from the 80s. I was going to say, which Secret Wars? Yeah, the the newer one. Because there's like Um, four Secret Wars. And then he did, he just finished up a run on X-Men, and it was incredible. It was like the best X-Men I've read. I've heard about that. It was, it's so good. You got to read it. It was so good. Oh, and people hated that. it because it was too woke. There were too many gay people in it. So people were, oh man, this is what I mean. It's like people don't, I'm telling you, it's a comprehension issue. Like it's also, it's also <laughs> it the fact that there's extremely negative narratives out there about it. Like, like it's, it's deeply problematic how hard people are trying to, it's like people are trying to push minorities out of movies. It's, yeah it's a little alarming it's i mean and i it, it it's frustrating because i really started to feel like we were making progress mm-hmm. i mean it was you know things started to to shift again i'm i'm referring to this period of time you know like from like 2006 to 2012 things seemed to be gradually getting more and more progressive and then we had a certain election and everything rolled backwards with a vengeance, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it is alarming and it's frustrating because we can't really have conversations like the one we're having right now where we can name a movie and even if we didn't like it, we can still appreciate qualities that went into the making of it because now everything is either trash or people just defend it to the end because they feel obligated to in order to kind of offset all the negativity. But it's it's frustrating because, I mean, you, I just feel like we can't really have frank discussions about media anymore, you know, because we all have to take some political stance or, um, you know, mm-hmm. we have to, we feel like we have to support things because of everything we just said, where it does seem like people want minorities out of movies. So even if the movie's not good, we have to defend it because 
it featured a diverse cast or something. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty annoying. Yeah, no, it, it forces me to say positive things about the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Where I'm like, well, yeah, but it, part of its money-making power is its incredibly diverse cast. And that's... <laughs> like, that's just kind of the thing. Yeah. That, that's You die a little bit inside. Yeah. To be fair, I did actually really enjoy the ones with Jason Statham. Uh, because Jason Statham makes all bad movies better. Uh, He's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I well, I feel that way about The Rock, too. I mean, I you know, also, I've got a soft spot for The true. Rock. Have you ever seen the movie London? Hmm. I don't think so. So, like, it's a wild, it's a wild fucking movie. Because, like, 80% of the movie is just Chris Evans and Jason Statham's characters doing cocaine in a bathroom. Like that actually sounds pretty hilarious. It's kind of weirdly, it's like it's a very hated movie, but it's kind of weirdly mesmerizing. Like basically, Chris Evans' character has just been broken up with by um ah, what's her name? She's on that show, The Sinner now. Um, Jessica Biel. Oh, okay. And so she's just broken up to him uh, with him, but he gets like invited to a party where he knows she's going to be, and so he goes to this party which unfortunately is at dane cook's house um or it's played by dane cook but <laughs> but basically it it ends up with him and jason says this other guy at the party who doesn't really want to be there just in a bathroom doing cocaine talking about their problems um and one of the problems is jason statham like has destroyed his life with like sexual addiction and now he can't get hard for a woman he really loves and it's it's just like he the um, there's just like insane coked up monologues. It's kind of crazy. Um, also, at the end, Jason Statham gets to punch uh, Dane Cook in the face. Uh, oh, that would be worth watching. Yeah, just for that. I can't. I honestly, I'd have to watch it again before I could tell anyone if it was actually good. But it is fascinating. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Did you did you see Locke? with tom hardy i have not but it is a movie i would like to see i know it's one of those high concept films it it's it is but it's also really simple i mean because it's basically yeah. one of those simple high concept films yeah but i mean i i saw a lot, a lot of people um it seems like the people who like it that are in my life are acting nerds you know they they were theater kids that makes sense or, uh, or whatever and they they appreciate the craft but everybody else like thinks it's a really boring movie and it kind of is he's just in a car on speakerphone talking to people but to me I, it was similarly fascinating to what you just described I mean just I felt like I was in the car with this guy you know and I mean that's not interesting in and of itself but like I don't know. I guess it comes to to what we were talking about earlier, where you said that coworker, or or was he a coworker? That he guy. Was a, you, he was technically my supervisor. Okay, so your your former boss, uh, who said he can't relate to female characters. Um, I have nothing in common with Tom Hardy's character in that movie, but I think that's what made me like it so much. It it really did feel like I was getting a window into a completely different person's mind, you know, which I, I just always find very intriguing when it's done well. 
Oh no, totally. And th- there is something to be said for performances that that like elevate something. Like, oh, definitely. Have you ever seen Equilibrium? Yes. If that movie didn't have Jake Christian Bale's performance in it, it would just be trash. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, it not, is still kind of trash. It's kind of a trashy movie. I mean, I hate to say that because it's a guilty pleasure movie of mine, but it's not, not good. <laughs> yeah, like the thing that holds that movie together, though, is just Christian Bale's performance. If you weren't watching Christian Bale discover uh, emotion, you might be you might be sitting there going, "Wait a minute, this is just Fahrenheit 451, but stupid." Yeah, but with Gunkata. Yeah, which. I, I did a podcast episode where I ranted about that and how incredibly stupid Gunkata is. Like, it just, there's no sense to it. No, it's it's absurd. Like, the part where he's, they say it increases your accuracy, it's like, how? How? How could that possibly be true? Yeah, I, it's, that's, it's part of the reason I couldn't really get into the movie Wanted. You know, it was the same thing where they were like, causing bullets to curve and it like i don't know well, that was that one was just like a rule of that universe in some way for some reason i was gonna say it was a little more justified because there was kind of a magic thing mm-hmm. going on but i don't know it to me it's it's not that hard to add like verisimilitude to things like projectiles i mean we could mm-hmm. just come up with any any sort of reason i don't care just give me something and wanted they did but it was pretty vague <laughs> yeah you know and then with the with the gun kata even more so now that's a movie based on a comic book by another edgelord mark millar yes who I've, I've really enjoyed some of his books but like but nowadays when i look at his work i'm like i feel like you're just a guy rolling around on a bed of money now because you have licensing deals and like yeah i and i i don't think you're wrong um and it's it's the shame it's kind of like uh i don't know if it really is as simple as money just being the root of all evil but um take brian michael bendis uh another kind of a high profile writer who's done some incredible things he's come up with some of the best characters uh in mainstream comics Jessica Jones, Miles Morales. Um, he wrote a wonderful uh, series of crime graphic novels. I don't know if you read. I don't know if you know that I've he's heard from of, Cleveland. I've heard of them. I do know that, actually. I, I know some things about them. Um, yeah, Brian Michael Bendis, I, my major understanding, like my big thing of him was just that I read Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, which, for the most part, is just a great version of Spider-Man. It is, yeah. Like, from his Peter Parker work into his Miles Morales work, were there arguably some villains who got the shaft in his adaptation of them? I mean, yeah, but uh, but overall, just what he did with Peter Parker and Miles, just great. Good, good book. I agree. Listeners want to read anything. And All Spider-Man. The, um, and Alias was good, too. I mean, if you liked Jessica Jones. I have not actually uh, read but it. Yeah. Oh, it's it's uh it's solid all of the good things from the netflix show are in the comic but multiplied it was a very good book um but he's kind of turned into one of marvel's worst writers 
you know, he got huge and his characters got, you know, I, I'm sure he got some royalties for their distribution. Um, it sounds like Marvel is pretty fucking he, bad at royalties. Yeah, that's true, actually. Like, that's a good point. Like, that was, that's always a thing that kind of shocked me is like the number, like a number have, of like artists or writers have come out about the fact that they would get like, they got, so like the big one that I can think of is Jim Starlin who made um thanos yeah and uh, uh, when he came out and he was like i got paid variety. more i got more royalties for kg beast appearing out of costume and without using his name in batman v superman uh that's tragic yeah um it is tragic uh like uh like like literally kg beast they they only use his like alter ego name in the movie and he's never in costume right but apparently beggar royalty than thanos who's been in like five movies yeah I, now he said that during infinity war and i may have heard some rumors that that he may have been better compensated for in-game um possibly because he said that <laughs> i was about to say i mean that's it's I mean, good. I'm glad he got something if that's true, but it's sad that he had to like bitch about it. There was was another creator who said a similar thing also. And like, I watched Miss Marvel and like, I thought it, I I thought it was a fun show. Um, But like a thing that kind of bothered me is that like every time I would watch the credits, I would be waiting. I'd be looking for the names of the people who created Kamala Khan Mm -hmm. because I know that that was create that character was like at least in terms of the writing was created by uh, what's her name uh, G Willow Wilson or something like that uh, who who is a who is a Muslim comic book writer but I don't see her name in those credits I mean I know she didn't create the name Miss Marvel but she did create Kamala Khan. Uh, Sana Aminat G Willow Wilson. Um, and they were not in the credits? I don't, I mean, it's 100% possible I may have missed their name in the credits, but I tried to look for it and I never saw it. Maybe I blinked at all the right times, but I don't remember seeing it there. Uh, I mean, I'm inclined to believe you because in the Hawkeye series, all of the promotional material was mimicking um, David Aja's cover art for the Hawkeye series he did with Matt Fraction and he didn't get any credit for that I mean and we're talking about shot for shot recreation of his artwork and nothing nobody said anything and that was very disappointing to me because he's one of the coolest I think artists um, to come around he's great he's got that very clean minimal style and he's just got a good eye for especially covers, which obviously translated really well to doing like posters for a TV show. And um, yeah, he didn't get he didn't One get any the, credit. I mean, they at least had Matt Fraction on set, but that's it. <clears throat> Marvel has a long history of valuing writers above artists too. Which is it's weird. true. It's true. Um, one of the one of the most tragic but also slightly touching stories of an artist and the like their residuals that I know is is Jack Kirby. Like part of the reason Dark Side is such a important character on a certain level is it was the 
It was the first character uh, Jack Kirby ever created that he got residuals from a licensing deal on. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, no, in the 80s, uh, this action figure company was working with DC to make a, t- a line of toys called Superpowers. And, um, and like they were going through the catalogs because they had to pick out a main villain for it. And they saw Dark Side and they were like, let's do that guy. And it was, according to Jack Kirby's wife, it meant a whole lot to him when he got that check. Because it was, it, it's not even just about the money, it's just that he had been robbed of that type of payment for his Marvel creations for so yeah. long. Yeah. It just was hugely emotional for him. I can uh, imagine. He was even asked to help, he even helped write and draw the Superpowers tie-in comics. I can imagine. I mean, I you know, just to finally get recognition after being such a fixture in the industry mm-hmm. um i mean because like I, I i'll say it i mean and you know i i love of uh stanley as much as anyone but um marvel would be nothing without jack kirby mm-hmm. he basically saved the whole company <laughs> i mean his concept his, his art um it was so distinctive it was dynamic you know and even to this day it holds up because it's so interesting and it was unlike anything else back then and that's what sold fantastic four books you know that's what sold pretty much everything that he worked on and Um, also um stan lee was not as big of an influence on books like uh thor or the hulk right um because he's admitted he didn't know what to or 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 the x-men um, because he admitted he's admitted that like those were characters he didn't really know what to do with them after he created them and and those were all books jack kirby drew and a lot of times plotted so um, that's that's it that's i don't know jack kirby man yeah legend what's uh if you had to criticize like i guess the treatment of um original creators and the way that their intellectual property gets handled what's the biggest standout for you that people have to deal with because i i think this plays into the greater conversation that we're having about people not appreciating art and not understanding what's good and what isn't because sometimes i feel like a lot of wonderful artists and writers through the same kind of thing that jack kirby went through where they are incredible but they're not appreciated and I mean, they end up either leaving the industry or, or fading away, you know? I mean, there's honestly so many examples of, of, of it. Like for uh, like, like you got Bill Finger who was screwed over by Bob Kane in the creation of Batman. Um, like Bob Kane, his whole deal was that he came up with, he, his idea was to come up with a character that he could sell to comic book companies. Mm-hmm. And, and like he hired artists and writers to make the comic for him with his name on it. Um, and like, it was a big deal because not as many creators like thought that far ahead to like slap their name on it at that point in time. A lot of people at that point were just jobbers coming in to like i i need i'll take whatever work you can give me and um so he's somebody uh bill finger that is um yeah. um the uh the creators of superman 
Um, like we we're talking about, we've mentioned DC doing a better job of like paying people and giving credit, but there's a reason for that, which is that the creators of Superman's family sued them for years. <laughs> like they're just they're just like trying to make that not happen again. Right. Um and so like and those guys, um, they left I always forget this, I always forget the name of this character, but like I think it might it might have been funny, man. But like this is a tragic thing that happens all that used to happen all the time in the comic book universe, in the comic book, I'm sorry, comic book industry is uh, writers would create writers or artists would create a character. It gets super big. And then they would realize they didn't have rights to it. And the next thing, so they would go to another smaller company and the smaller company like, yeah, we'd love to work with you. We'll give you complete control of the character. And then they would make something that just was never as iconic. Yeah. Um, Like, like uh Siegel and Schuster who made Superman, they they made a character who was basically a stand-up comedian who would use prop, literally use prop comedy to fight crime. I'm not making that. Up. Uh, yeah. And not nearly successful. And like for yeah, the first not, it doesn't really have the same vibe as the last oh. summer Krypton. But like they marketed it by like for the first few episodes. I mean, not episodes, issues. It was marketed as from the creators of Superman until DC threatened them. And then it just became from, from, their, from their names, which no one right. knew. You know. Right. Um, and uh, the guy who created uh, Captain Marvel, the original one, Shazam, um, after he lost uh, everything to that, which I don't feel too bad because he was kind of racist, uh, but he went on to make a comic book called... Uh, called fat man the fly the flying saucer and it was literally about a superhero who would say a magic word and turn into a flying saucer also he was fat deep deep stuff um so like this kind of thing happened all the time in the industry where the artists would just like they would lose like the thing that made them and they would try and get back up on top but it, it just was almost impossible um jack kirby like the thing that broke him at marvel one of the things that broke him at marvel was like they made like animated cartoons during the 60s that literally used his art to animate them he was given nothing um but actually the thing a lot of people don't realize because in a way stan lee actually almost traded money for fame oh definitely like yeah that's i don't think that's even debatable yeah like the things people don't know is that stan lee did those cameos in those movies for free and like people imagine him as like the head of marvel but he's not yeah and then there was that shit with his daughter or something i don't i don't know enough about that to necessarily like paint a coherent picture of it but yeah there were some allegations that uh one of his family members i believe his daughter uh was controlling him to get his money yeah and he did have some money because stan lee was able to get lots of deals um afterwards and work uh, even when he wasn't working for marvel also he previously at one point ran like the hollywood studio like the hollywood branch of marvel where he got all the tvs and movies made which actually is some of the darkest period of terrible marvel content there is oh like oh no <laughs> uh, i know <clears throat> Like, I, I don't know if you've seen those made-for-TV Captain America movies, but whoa. I have. The helmet was iconic. A bike helmet, yeah. 
I mean, I understand that he's technically Captain America Jr. or whatever, and he's because Steve Rogers died. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird premise. It was a weird way to go. <laughs> and he's not a soldier. He's he's literally an artist. <laughs> yeah, who travels the sit the country in a van. I will say that's this actually. Second, oh, go on, go on, go on. The second movie was more entertaining, but possibly more problematic because it had Christopher Lee as a. Uh, like a central american drug lord yeah it was weird casting <laughs> but yeah no it's stanley didn't create good hollywood <laughs> uh also the 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 doctor strange movie from that period and yeah. oh i've never seen it i've just seen in stills oh, like, just shots from it i watched it on daily motion um it's interesting. There's too much doctor in it. Like I watched it and like it there's like at a certain point I became concerned that it was going to become like a medical drama. It was so it was uh oh. So it, it it was a little less uh occult mysticism and more gray's anatomy. <laughs> I mean they get to the occult mysticism part, but like there's all just a lot more of him being a doctor than I was expecting. Maybe because I'm used to him being in the post doctor mode where he's can no longer do surgery um but yeah very it's it's interesting it's on it's on well, i saw it on daily motion unless they've taken it down check that out <laughs> um so wait so at some point i have to wrap this up but i do want to ask you because i feel like it ties into a lot of the things we've said uh how do you what are your thoughts on the uh the dceu in okay um do you think we could take a quick break while i think of a because there's a lot i have a lot to say about it but i don't want to go on like a rambling okay um i tell you what i gotta pee okay so i will pause this here for a second and we'll get right back to it sounds good okay all right all right so we're we're back um so yeah the dc movies um i guess to let the audience who may or may not watch the dc movies um and by that i mean the dceu the more recent well i guess i can't even say more recent now uh there's so much chaos at warner brothers um but so the dceu starts of course with um man of steel Yes. Uh, and then goes into Batman versus Superman. And uh, then been uh, followed by controversy. <laughs> then it was what? It was Wonder Woman, the next canon. Uh, suicide, uh, suicide Squad was technically the next canon movie. Suicide Squad, then Wonder Woman, and then Justice League. Yeah, the, it, the theatrical cut of Justice League. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with Man of Steel. Um, okay. As far as like coming at it from a a critical perspective, um, as as far as, as like what is good, what isn't good, and what people seem to just generalize as being one or the other based on whatever sorts of social Reddit biases they have, um, Man of Steel I didn't think was a horrible movie, and that's the one thing that I will say about Zack Snyder who I'm not a fan of I'll just let's just say that now okay. but 
the man does have a command of visuals. I mean, he does. And I thought a lot of Man of Steel, man, if that just had a slightly better script, that could have been a really damn cool Superman movie. Um, you know who wrote the, that movie? You know, what do you say? You know who wrote that movie? No. Uh, it was uh, Jonathan Nolan and David Goyer. Jonathan David Nolan. Goyer is another one of those guys. He Goyer either hits hit or, or he miss. misses. He, yeah, it's and there's no in between. But uh, <laughs> it was also written by uh, Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan, who makes Westworld. Hmm. I wonder who made certain decisions over the course of that script because, like I said, some of it was all right, mm-hmm. but. Uh, some of it was nonsense and obviously I am of the mind that Superman killing someone um, is a very risky move I mean that's only going to work if you sell it and in my opinion that that whole scene was not sold very well and obviously they carried those themes on into Batman versus Superman which was a problem I had with the movie from from jump it you know depicting bruce wayne witnessing superman inadvertently cause the death of thousands of people and then that being his motive to take him down makes sense as a motive to want to take somebody down but it, you know just already that's that superman's wrong you know he's so, wrong that's the wrong context of superman so like but i mean that's kind of the point of batman versus superman because okay i'll tell you up front mm. I love Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. Okay, no, no, that's uh, fine. Specifically, no. uh, have you seen the have you seen the extended version of Batman v Superman? Yes. Okay, um, I, I I will say after watching the extended, like I had a very long. Why the hell did they cut all the Superman out of the theatrical cut? I agree, uh, it was better. I mean, it was definitely better. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, but the thing is that thematically, for me. Like, the whole idea is that Batman is wrong. Like, that is the point of Batman v Superman, is that Batman is wrong. Sure, yeah. Batman Batman is taking, is using his trauma as an excuse to, like, basically continue to, like, descend and and fail. And in that, and the whole point is that by the end of the movie, he has to realize that he was wrong. Um... In fact, like one of the things the writers do with Batman v Superman, uh, which incidentally, Batman v Superman was written by uh, David Goyer and Chris Terrio. Okay. Um, from the sound of it, largely Chris Terrio, uh, who also largely wrote um, Zack Snyder's version of Justice League. Um, and also <laughs> the third Star Wars movie. Uh, so, yeah, but also, not, but not also, exactly Tolstoy. But also Argo, I actually haven't seen Argo, but people tell me it's great. I haven't seen uh, it either. Um, which actually apparently is how he got the job on Batman v Superman, because um, Ben Affleck wanted uh, some, Ben Affleck wanted to bring in his writer on it. Um, so I actually really, I actually really love uh, Man of Steel just because it like, I don't know. I'm more of an outsider type kid, so a movie that emphasized Superman's loneliness kind of really got more to me. And like that is a thing that has been explored in the comics. I will say, killing Zod at the end 
definitely a hard choice. I mean, he it has been pointed out Superman uh, did kill Zod, and I think it's John Burns' run on Superman. Yeah. Uh, I will say maybe maybe there, the one scene in Man of Steel that I would have done differently, although which is a weird thing for me to say because I actually get like teary eyed when I watch the scene uh, is is the death of uh, Pa Kent, Jonathan Kent. Yeah. Like that that movie that scene chokes me up, but like there is a part of me that's like I could have written this scene and made it subtle. There is a part of me that says that. Like, there was, I mean, there was a lot in really all of the Zack Snyder movies that yeah subtlety would have been an improvement I mean and that's just a problem with a lot of his films well he's going for more of that Um, grandiose operatic thing in those movies for sure which I mean like I said could totally work for Superman I mean he is basically a mythological mythological figure you know Mm -hmm. um and those were the moments that I mostly liked in Man of Steel but you know you could still do decent character work and you don't need to not everything has to be just Zack Snyder might be a little bit of an edgelord too might be I mean oh, I mean like I've never heard him say anything as terrible as what James Gunn says but yeah <laughs> yeah maybe not like on Twitter you know but I mean yeah. his his takes are weird as hell and sucker punch was weird as hell. Well, Sucker I mean, Punch I don't is another know movie that. Well, Sucker Punch is yeah, no, Sucker Punch is a weird one. Although that's another movie that got mutilated by the studio too. Um, it was supposed to be a musical, by the way. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that part. Um, which probably would have been better. <laughs> At least it would have sold people on how weird it was. True. Like as soon as people started singing, it would have been like, oh, it's supposed to be weird. Right. Um, I don't know. I do enjoy Sucker Punch, and I think that like the the subtext of the film is is interesting um are you have you heard what um what what the subtext is supposed to be i I mean nothing beyond just having seen the film okay uh so the i so the movie is meant to be like a commentary on the way that women are treated in genre film yes so that much i did get uh but just because that was the intention, I don't think it was executed well because it didn't, I mean, marketing something like that as a feminist film, but missing core feminist themes is a really weird take. Well, they didn't like, market I mean, it as that way either. No, like, they the didn't. The marketing not, was not good for that movie. Which is No, it was all very sexualized and it's like, look at hot chicks with guns. You know, it didn't, uh, at all insinuate. I mean, there, that scene at the end with her and John Hamm, mm-hmm. where the the rape was taking place. Uh, forgive well, me if lo- I should have said it's a lobotomy. Rape. There's a lobotomy, but then there's the other world where mm-hmm. she was like seducing him, kind of. Oh and, right, yeah. It and, is. I will say it is like it is a hard movie to keep track of. That is a totally fair criticism of that movie. Well, I, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, they were they were showing two completely opposite depictions of a violation. And even in showing two completely opposite um, situations, one where she was 
choosing it and another where that's not what was happening. Uh, in both situations, she ha- she doesn't really have a choice. The The choice is hollow. She's robbed of her agency. And whether or not that's a criticism, um, you know, that was the way it was set up in the film was like this was somehow an empowering moment for that character. Um, and it wasn't at all. It was just I mean, like, this is made by someone who doesn't understand what they're... It, there is such a thing as biting off more than you can chew. Absolutely. And I mean, just just having previously tried my hand at comedy, there are some jokes that are too high concept. You can't That's attempt true. the joke until you yourself are versed in the material that you're talking about. True. Otherwise, you look like you look bad. So that's what I think happened with Sucker Punch. But to get back to the DCEU, um, I do think that there's a lot of that same thing happening within the movies. And I think it happened a lot with Superman. I mean, we talked about the lack of subtlety with the character. And I'm not a person who complains about Superman maybe being a little bit sad. That is definitely a part of his character. Uh, I agree with you as someone who's kind of an other Definitely. It's it's always been a thing that stands out about him. He's the last of his kind, you know, and he's trying to assimilate into a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all very, he has to hide. Who he, you know, there's a lot of relatable stuff there. Yeah. But um, those those first two movies, I think, again, they I, I mean, I don't think they understood the characters that they were trying to adapt. I mean, yeah. I- I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. I mean, okay. I think I think the positioning of some of the characters like makes like I understand like so specifically okay, so like I I view Batman v Superman like a lot of people were upset that Batman killed people in Batman v Superman, which is a little bit of a weird complaint just because Hollywood has always wanted Batman to kill people. Well, and he killed people, and, and he and he killed people in the Michael Keaton movies. Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, uh, but um, but the point of Batman v Superman is meant to be why Batman shouldn't want to kill people. It. Have you ever read um, a lonely uh, a lonely place of dying? I have not. Who wrote uh, it? So a lonely place of dying. Uh, is the story that immediately follows um, Death and the Family um, after Jason Todd dies in the comics. Oh, okay, okay. And it's yeah, the yeah, story yeah. where Tim Drake basically hunts down Batman and like tries to convince him he needs a partner. And the reason that Batman needs a partner, like Robin, is because... He was going too dark. Yeah, he's going too dark. Like, he's starting to lose it. He's, he's like... like- taking riskier choices he's not protecting himself he's not ensuring that he's not hurting people and that's sort of kind of what's happening in batman v superman now batman v superman has almost like you're right at the fact that there's a lot of things that are very unsubtle in these movies but they're also like so incredibly dense like there's mm-hmm. sim- like in, specifically in batman v superman there's just so much happening all the time that it's almost to an average audience member, I could see it being like very difficult to like keep it all together if you're not familiar with the character. Sure. Um, but so like it's it's more of a reflection of that period of Batman's life where Batman is a lost soul. Like he's 
he's breaking down. Like he's like Joker's killed his partner, which was supposed to be explained in the Suicide Squad movies, but then they chopped almost all of it out. Uh, and um, he's he's just living in this world where he no longer has faith in anyone around him. He thinks everyone's going to turn evil. And while he's still dealing with this trauma, because he's clearly shown to have PTSD throughout the whole movie, um, he is not, he is, he is basically just slowly deteriorating. And the type of Batman that he is, is just becoming worse and worse. In fact, uh, in one of the parts that's in the ultimate cut, they like where Clark Kent is talking to, um, the the one guy outside the tenement house with who's scratching a Batman symbol into a lottery ticket. Yeah. The guy basically tells him, yeah, Batman has changed. Batman is is much worse now. I mean I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially the, the conversation. Um so it, the movie's really about how well it's about Batman's redemption uh through his he lo- he loses his way and he ends up witnessing the sacrifices of superman which impact which like empowers him to go on and like he he becomes convinced he needs to carry on the work of superman and create the justice league right uh because the whole thing is meant to be like this narrative because like the narrative he's trying to create and follow well him and the writers is meant to be one of a mythic being so we have him coming to earth we have him we have how earth reacts to him then we have his sacrifice and then we eventually pull around into his resurrection which also implies the arrival of a future armageddon right so yeah, that's- and none of that was really lost on me okay i mean uh the you you made some good points about batman's journey which actually does somewhat soften my opinion um But when I say that there seems to be a misunderstanding, um, don't get me wrong, I appreciate adaptation and that that freshens up material for me. I'm not one of those people that's like a purist about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But seeing Superman basically cause the destruction of Metropolis is just, that's such a strange and horrible like take. I mean, like looking at the batman um and its depiction of gotham city mm-hmm. they nailed it you know that felt like gotham absolutely it looked like gotham it had a character in the man of steel and batman versus superman movies metropolis has no character it's a site of endless destruction and superman is supposed to represent hope metropolis is supposed to be like the idealized american urban environment where everybody kind of follows Superman's example. It's supposed to be a brighter place. Whereas in those movies, it may as well have been Detroit. <laughs> and Superman, I don't, I, I, when I think of Superman, I want to see Superman save people. Mm-hmm. I want to see Superman. I mean, he does save people. Get the cat out of the tree. I don't need the cat Superman, out of the Superman spends more time alone and feeling dejected than being Superman. And to me, that was my biggest problem with those movies. Part of what we need to understand as the audience is how great Superman is. He's a role model, you know, and he's a positive one. 
And I thought that would have even made the the parallels between this darker Batman even better because See, I don't we could have I don't seen... necessarily feel like those things are not there at all though. I mean, I, I'm not arguing that they're not there at all. I'm arguing that they're not there enough. Okay, fair enough. I mean, so one of the things I can say about Wonder Woman was that we got to see those moments, and in a movie that was about this character debuting this character we did get a sense of who she was. We got her morality. And even in 1984, which I didn't like, by the way, but even in that movie, we got enough of Wonder Woman doing Wonder Woman stuff. And that to me is one of the biggest differences between Marvel and DC. Marvel has complicated, messed up heroes. DC's main heroes are these like creatures of principle i mean they are mythological that's that's the only way i think you can make a good dc movie and and to think of them as gods in a pantheon each god represents uh an idea and a concept yeah and to me this these movies were kind of like decontextualizing um and deconstructing at the same time these heroes kind of in a in a in a way that only works if we've already established these archetypes and can go from there and in a in a world where we have edgy superhero movies and we already have the marvel movies um it just seems to me that it's a loss of identity of the characters and of dc properties in general and that's one of the reasons i love the batman so much in comparison because we had a similar journey right we had a batman who was tortured who was dark and I am vengeance. And at the end of the movie, when he's stepping out into the sun and helping pull people from the rubble and kind of understanding that he needs to be more, that to me was a believable journey. Whereas the DC movies, like, I mean, we just didn't get, we didn't get any solid starting points, especially not with Superman who just, I mean, it was so refreshing to see in that Lois and Clark show. I don't know if you've seen it, I have seen it. I not like Superman and Lois. Superman and Lois. Just refreshing to see a smiling Superman, you know, that, that was flying around. I know that's, that's, a, that's a myth. That's true. He does smile at Lois Lane a few times. <laughs> um, There's only two people. And I mean, that's two people that men want to smile Superman and all women. That's- well, Superman doesn't need to smile all the time. And like I said, I. I I also related to his loneliness. I'm just saying that I felt Superman was kind of robbed of his identity in those movies. He didn't feel like Superman. He just felt like another broody hero. And it's like, we're talking about Superman. You know, we're talking about the OG. We're talking about the guy, you know, the dude. And I feel like it would have just had more weight to see him sad if we had also gotten that, you know, not to copy the Christopher Reeves movies, but just echoes of it. The you know last I mean? time they copied hopefully Christopher Reeves movies, people got mad about that. Did they? Oh yeah, do you remember Superman Returns? Which I also enjoyed. Yeah, but I was too long. Um, I don't remember the the response to the film, but I actually, yeah, I remember because I thought Brandon Ruth was a pretty good Superman. Yeah, no, uh, it uh, it bombed. And uh, the major criticism lumped at it was that it was trying too hard to be the Christopher Reeves movies, which actually <laughs> one of actually two things prompted Man of Steel to be the way it is, probably, which is the fact that Superman Returns failed and Green Lantern failed. Oof, and, yeah, Green Lantern was a 
and and the thing was is that green well i think that superman returns made them think that the christopher trying to copy christopher reese wouldn't work and then the and then they did green lantern and they were like oh i guess copying marvel's formula doesn't work for us so they were like well christopher nolan's movies keep making money so what happened is they went to christopher nolan's trying to get him to do su- excuse me to do superman right. christopher nolan's like no i don't want to do that i don't think i'm the right guy for the job and then christopher nolan was like you know who i think you should hire is Zack snyder <laughs> because apparently christopher nolan had been really impressed with uh the watchmen man okay i'm not gonna get distracted by that we gotta focus <laughs> um okay well what i guess my takeaway so far now that we're we're only we're only two movies in we haven't even discussed justice league yet so that okay so yeah no give me your um, takeaway so two movies in my issue with dc at that point the Zack snyder verse um is that it just felt like it didn't have an identity to me you know okay. whereas the the marvel movies do for better or for worse I mean, they are pretty formulaic at this point, but you knew what the characters were. You knew what the movies were. You, you know, you got all of the keynotes, which again, I think they did really well with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but the DC movies didn't really, they don't, you know, the, the only identity that they have at this point in the pantheon of films is their aesthetic, the way they look. That's it. You know, the characters don't have the same... Um, easily distinguished character traits and arcs i mean say what you will about tony stark but his arc was consistent throughout all the movies um so now we're moving on to uh you said suicide squad was the one that came next uh yeah i don't know we don't need to talk about suicide squad a a whole lot of even though suicide squad is a is a fascinating example of like what of studio meddling yeah, uh, and like, it's I don't funny know. because that movie has the least identity out of all the DC movies, I think. Well, that's because you they know? they tried to. Well, that's because they basically tried to like strip it down and then repaint it. Um, so I, I don't know how familiar you are with the background story, but basically, um, Superman, Man is, uh, Batman v Superman got a very negative critical reception, um, despite doing well at in at the foreign box office and technically domestic box office, although not as well as they'd hoped. Um, but they, they, there was such a negative critical response that Warner Brothers immediately started to get involved with Suicide Squad. And they ended up making two versions of the film. Uh, one that was David Ayer's version that was edited by the same guy who edited The Dark Knight. Okay. Uh, and then the other version... Uh, was a version of the film uh, that they had reshot footage for that was edited and put together by the company that made the trailer for Suicide Squad. And so, according to Charles Roven, the producer, who later confirmed this in an interview, an insane thing, by the way, that I can't believe any producer would say out loud to the public, was, so we took both of the movies... And we test, uh, we test screen them. And the audiences like them. In fact, they like them about the same, though. So we took them and we smashed them together. <laughs> he was like, 
So they just took both movies and attempted to make them one movie. Why? No, it's a terrible idea. Why would they idea. do that? Why would they do that? It would have um, been better to flip a coin. Yeah. You know? It would have. Oh, man. Well, yeah. that explains a lot because yeah. that movie, and I'm assuming probably the same thing happened with that Birds of Prey movie. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I enjoyed the Birds of Prey movie, uh, personally. Uh, there you? are a lot of rumors that things were cut out of it. Um, there are a lot of rumors that, uh, about things that were cut out about it, but I don't know which of the things that were cut out of it are true. Mm-hmm. I do know that they reshot several of the action scenes, um, and they reshot the action scenes as directed by the guy who did John Wick. Um, they, okay. they brought him in to reshoot um, a number of the action scenes in the movie. I know that happened. I also know there's also rumors about some plot lines that were cut. I don't entirely know which of those plot lines are true. Um, there was an argument. Uh, the director actually got into an argument with a Twitter personality over some claims they were making about what the cutscenes were. Um, so that was interesting. But uh, but yeah, Suicide Squad just really fascinating behind the like people monkeying around with it it was supposed to like explain things that happened in batman v superman and then it was also supposed to set up the arrival of steppenwolf on earth but like partway into the production they were like you can't use steppenwolf anymore (laughs) um and the thing is is that we know this was at least far enough into the production that they had built the sets Wow. Because the the artwork of Steppenwolf that came out from behind the scenes showed him and like parademons on the same sets that do appear in the movie. <sighs> so like I sometimes I like almost have to like some like God bless David Ayer's ability to roll with things because the movie should actually be way less watchable than it is. <laughs> Um, I, I was a big Suicide Squad comic book reader. Like sure. I have, I have almost all of them except for the new stuff. Um, but, uh, the thing it's, I actually enjoy that movie, but it's only because he did a really good job capturing most of the characters from the comics. Mm. Like the scene between Deadshot and, uh, Rick Flagg on the helicopter where he's like, where Deadshot's basically being like, hey man, I know you know the dark places too. And he's like, I'm a soldier. You're a you're a you're a serial killer who takes credit cards. And like the thing about that moment is it actually perfects it perfectly encapsulates their relationship in the comics. That is exactly the kind of shit they say to each other. Um but yeah, no, I it as someone who read the comics, I was really happy with the characters, but the the storyline had been just butchered. Like at a certain like it, I enjoyed it enough. It also it's a really good movie on drugs. Like as far as <laughs> movies to watch on drugs, good to know. Uh, All right. Um, I, I I saw it seven times before I was like, okay, I see what's wrong with this movie now, which is essentially like it's like the whole movie is basically just we get like an intro for the characters and then the rest of the movie is just them walking through a city. And I was yeah. like, Oh, that's, uh, 
that's not well constructed. No, and neither was the central conflict. I mean, which w- between Rick Flag and his and 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 the DC Enchantress. Mm-hmm. That is an accurate. Uh, that prediction. was also. That is a lot like how she behaves in the comics, though. She tries to betray them all the time. I know it just. I wasn't a great script, but I mean, from what you just said, it's probably, there are reasons for that. So yeah, it's very, uh, it was, yeah. Jeff Johns, uh, who by the way, was the guy who was brought in to do all the rewrites on things. And as the studio decided to start messing with them, he's like DC's Brian Michael Bendis. Yes. Although he did some good things and now he's horrible and I don't know what happened to him. (laughs) Uh, it's a great question. Um, like, it sounds like he just got really into himself and thought of himself as a movie producer. Like, the stories that have come out about him in terms of how he interacted with the DC movies are just like things like, oh, Christopher Nolan never wanted him around. Um, the uh, Philip, uh, Todd Phillips uh, kicked him out of meetings for the Joker. Um, uh, on the set of justice league he was doing the rewrites with joss whedon on the set while Zack snyder was still directing and like there was apparently an interaction where chris terrio was like can we use some of my pages wow yeah also there was so one of the claims that i don't know if you heard any of the accusations that ray fisher made um about, oh yeah i followed that whole thing but one of the things he said about jeff john specifically was that they reshot a scene um, that, there, that had already been shot in Batman v Superman, the scene where he like merges with the, uh, the cyborg yeah. uh, with technology. And uh, essentially, if you watch the Whedon cut, they reshot it. Um, and they reshot it so that he's missing less of his body. And basically behind the scenes, what happened was uh, Ray Fisher was like, hey man, why are we reshooting the scene? It's, it's very expensive and we, we already have the footage. And Jeff Johns goes to Ray Fisher and he's like, well, you know, it, we, we think it's very important that the black community knows that Cyborg has his penis. That could have either been a really funny joke or... <laughs> they did reshoot the scene so that he'd have a penis. Oh, man. Although also, apparently, man. Joss Whedon, apparently Joss Whedon wanted the vision to have a penis. Oh, I remember that, which yeah. is, that, that's, again, I, that, maybe if we do this again in the future, we can talk more about Joss Whedon, because be I have cool. a lot to say about that. I would like that. Um, well, maybe yeah, we should save uh, the discussion of Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League for that part. <laughs> oh, if you want to, yeah, we can do uh, that. That'll come, um, real quick, I do want to ask, have you seen Zack Snyder's version? Yes, I have. Okay, and, cool. And I uh, want that time back. Uh, I've watched it maybe eight times. Are you serious? I'm serious. Wow. I own it on on Blu-ray. And I bought it again on digital. This should be a good discussion then. Because the amount of problems I have with both versions of those movies is... You know, it'll be interesting to talk to someone who passionately likes them because I don't like, or the at least Zack Snyder's, at least Zack Snyder's version. Yeah, no. Um, uh, 
Whedon's version feels very weird when you go back and watch it after. I mean, it felt weird the first time. It did, but it's, you know? it, it gets weirder when you realize how many minority characters he cut out of the movie. Yeah, and it's um, it's it's funny because that movie is actually so on brand for Joss Whedon. Like, if you've seen all of his stuff, and yeah, like I said, we, we'll 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 get to we'll that. We'll get some to it. Time. All right. Um, well, in that case, uh, well, uh, then we'll definitely have to do this again. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on my program. And uh, I, I want I want to ask. Um, I know you're not doing comedy currently, but is there anything uh, you can or would like to promote at this time? Uh, I'm looking for uh, an editor to um, go over my novel. Um, that's pretty much it. But uh, I don't know when that'll happen. It's um, it's a time consuming process. I don't know if you've ever tried to publish. This is my first time doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've been, finished writing a couple things, but I've never gotten to the try to publish it stage. Yeah, it's uh, I from what people who before tell me, it gets easier, but the first time is very difficult. So that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, it's a, um, I guess we could call it a horror novel. Uh, it's called This Bleeding World. I and, think I uh, saw you put up some uh, some some parts of it on Facebook. Yeah, I've been trying to post excerpts around just to generate some interest from people who know me but um that that's it other than that i'm just getting by like everybody else <laughs> all right well i will say i thought the uh, the excerpt you put on was very intriguing thank you um so yes uh once again uh just thank you for coming uh, on my show no problem man it was a pleasure all right let's say goodbye to the people bye everybody goodbye everyone who's listening at some nebulous time and place <laughs>